Well, hello, friends. Grace and peace of our Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus, be with you. Welcome to Sermons from the Mount podcast. My name is Pastor Mark O'Neill. I currently serve as the pastor of Mount Olivet United Methodist Church in Manio, North Carolina. Each week, we will post here audio recordings of the sermons that I preach from that church. Hope this one is a blessing to you. God bless. Take care. Our gospel lesson this morning and the sermon text comes from the Gospel of Luke. We're in the ninth chapter. We're going to take a look at verses 51 through 62. Again, this is Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 62. It says, When the days drew near for him, him of course being Jesus, To be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. And they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Friends, this is the word of God for you and I, the children of God. Thanks be to God. Well, friends, we had college orientation this past week. About 200 or so kids and their parents all gathered on campus for a couple of days of sitting through seminars and information sessions and such. It was a long, long couple of days. And to aid in making sure everybody got where they were supposed to be, when they were supposed to be there, Each of the students was assigned to one of 15, 16, 17 different groups. And not only did each group have their own specific leader, but each group also had this giant sign that on it had a number that corresponded with your particular group. The leaders would hold that sign up when it was time for those students to gather with one another and then head off to the next event or seminar or activity. All the kids had to do was locate that sign and then follow that sign to the next location. Multiple times a day, they were told, just look for the sign. Just look for the sign. It prevented them from getting lost, prevented them from taking a wrong turn, prevented them from ending up in the wrong group, prevented them from heading in the wrong direction. All they had to do was look for that sign and they would get where they needed to be. As we were driving back on late Thursday night, I thought to myself, 
Well, how helpful would that be for us as we continue our journey with Jesus? Wouldn't it be great if there was something that we could locate and then follow to keep us from getting lost or taking a wrong turn or ending up in the wrong group or heading in the wrong direction? Something that we could look at every day. Something that we could follow to get us where we need to be. Wouldn't that be great if we had such a thing? Don't get ahead of me. <laughs> so Friday morning I sat down to do my summer 4G gospel reading. And I read through the verses of Matthew that we had for that day. And I sat back in my chair and thought more about this idea. Wouldn't it be great if we had something that was a sign to follow to get us where we need to be? I leaned back on my desk and I read through Luke 8. And I got done with that and I sat back in my chair. And again, wouldn't it be great if we had something we could look at every day to direct us and guide us? So I leaned forward again and read through the Matthew 4. And again, after I got done with that, I sat back in my chair. We really need something, don't we, to guide us. Now, obviously, you've guessed kind of where I'm heading with this. But the fact is, yeah, God has provided us with such a sign. Something for you and I to look at multiple times a day. Something to prevent us from getting lost. Something to prevent us from taking a wrong turn. Something to prevent us from getting into the wrong group. Something to prevent us from going in the wrong direction. Something for us to locate and follow to get us where we need to be. And who wants to take a guess as to what that is? The Bible. Friends, there's not a single thing that has come along in the last 2,000 years that can orient us into the ways of Christ-likeness than the pages of Scripture. Everything we need to know to live a more Christ-like life is located in the pages of Scripture. There are signs upon signs telling us what it is we should be doing. Some of the signs we see are telling us things we should do. Some of the signs are telling us things we should not do. Some of the signs we see are affirmations. Some of the signs we see are warnings. Friends, our sign this morning is a warning. It tells us of what to be wary of and the kind of behaviors that can derail us and cause us to stumble in our walk with Christ Jesus. The sign we see this morning, friends, is telling us to pay attention to fire and focus. Jesus is heading to Jerusalem for what you and I now call Holy Week. At the end of this week, Jesus is going to be betrayed, arrested, and executed. It's a long trip from where Jesus is to get to Jerusalem, and so on their way, he sends a bunch into this Samaritan village to make preparations so they can stay the night and rest up a little bit for the journey that is to come. But because Jesus and his followers were Jews, and Jews and Samaritans makes like oil and water, <clears throat> the Samaritans say, nope. Y'all can't stay here. You need to keep on going somewhere else. And so when word of this reaches the twelve, James and John, who we sometimes refer to as the sons of thunder, are so offended that they ask Jesus if he wanted fire to come down from heaven and consume them. Meaning what? Well, the boys had appointed themselves as judges. And they wanted to enact some punishment. They were aghast that the Samaritans would not accept Jesus. 
aghast of such disregard for the Lord, so they felt that maybe a little righteous anger and wrath is exactly what the situation calls for. Now, James and John are certainly on fire for the Lord. When Jesus said, hey, leave your father Zebedee in that boat and come follow me, they both dropped the nets immediately, and they followed Jesus. So they most certainly believed in Jesus. And they most certainly have been taught by Jesus the years they have been with him. And they most certainly wanted to live in Jesus' footsteps, the kind of lives that Jesus was urging them to live. But friends, at this point, their fire seems to have gotten a little out of control. Their fire now has them looking down their noses at folks that don't live like them or worship like them or know Jesus like them. Now their fire has them pronouncing judgment on people that they have presumably never spoken to or carried on a conversation with. Sounds like 2022 America, doesn't it? Friends, I'm afraid to say that we have folks in our tribe as Christians that while they most certainly believe in Jesus and have been taught by Jesus, they allow their fire for Jesus to get out of control a little bit and make themselves into judges. We see folks making decisions that we don't agree with. We see folks living lives that we don't agree with. And just like James and John, we want fire to come down and consume them. Sometimes we practice a spiritual arrogance that makes respectful dialogue with our opponents increasingly seldom. Differing opinions and positions bring forth rage instead of reason. Emotional reflex instead of patient reflection. Nuance and subtlety have been replaced by a scorched earth contempt. It's us versus them. Our fire, friends, I think at times gets out of control. James and John saw these Samaritans living a life that, well, in their minds was wrong, and they wanted them punished. But Jesus had none of it. Luke tells us that Jesus turned and rebuked them. And that's no small thing, friends. Because in Luke, the last time Jesus was said to have rebuked was an unclean spirit in chapter 9, verse 42. You may say, well, what's the problem really with James and John's scorched earth approach? It's this. There's a such thing in scriptural translations called a textual variant. Which means that depending upon your translation, it may omit something that might be in other translations. Typically, you see it with a footnote or a superscript, a subscript, what do you want to call it? Your translation may very well have something in verse 55 to point you to something else. And so the textual variant for this verse 55 that we read today is that after Jesus rebukes him, or while Jesus is rebuking James and John, he says, You do not know what sort of spirit you are of, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy people's lives, but to save. The Son of Man did not come to destroy people's lives, but to save. Friends, are we by our actions and our words showing others a Savior that wants to save them? Or one that wants to destroy them? Are we loving people towards Jesus? Or are we scaring them away from Jesus? 
Listen to what our good friend, the Reverend J.C. Ryle, says on this passage. He says, A certain Samaritan village refused our Lord hospitality, so James and John made their strange proposal. Here was zeal indeed, and zeal of a most plausible kind, zeal for the honor of Christ. But it was not a zeal according to knowledge. The two disciples forgot that circumstances alter cases and that punishments should always be proportioned to offenses. They meant well, but they greatly erred. Facts like this are carefully recorded for our learning. It is possible to have much zeal for Christ, but to exhibit it in the most unholy and unchristian ways. It is possible to mean well and have good intentions, and yet make the most grievous mistakes in our actions. It is possible to fancy that we have Scripture on our side, and to support our conduct by scriptural quotations, and yet to commit serious errors. It is clear as daylight that it is not enough to be zealous and well-meaning. Very grave faults are frequently committed with good intentions. Zeal without knowledge is an army without a general and a ship without a rudder. We must pray to handle rightly and apply properly the scriptures. Zeal without knowledge. The Apostle Paul writes about this in Romans chapter 10, verses 2 through 3. So the question for us is, friends, is your zeal for Christ with or without knowledge? Or another way to put it, are you a controlled burn? Or are you an out-of-control wildfire? Friends, Jesus wants us to be on fire for him. He wants us to repent of our sins and do what we can do to be better each and every day. He wants us to sharpen each other. He wants us to guide each other. He wants us to hold one another accountable. But nowhere in Scripture does Jesus tell us to be a judge. Nowhere in Scripture does Jesus tell us to condemn. He tells us to what? Love. We cannot let our zeal or fire get so out of control that we forget that the person on the other side of any disagreement is also a child of God, made in our Creator's image, and loved by Him. We talked about this in one of our Bible studies last fall. Love without truth is not God's kind of love. Truth without love is not God's kind of truth. John Wesley says this, and I put it on our church's social media sites yesterday. He said, we should be rigorous in judging ourselves and gracious in judging others. Rigorous in judging ourselves and gracious in judging others. How are we doing on that, church? Because I'll be honest, I struggle with it. And finally, I want to say a word about focus. It seems to me the first half of our scripture this morning deals with fire. The back half deals with the kind of focus needed to be a disciple of Jesus. Our focus needs to be on him and on him alone. In verses 57 through 62, we have three stories of three potential disciples. All three say they want to follow Jesus, yet all three seem to have some conditions attached to it. The first one says, yeah, I follow you, Jesus. But then for some reason, Jesus seems compelled to remind him, 
through the story of foxes and birds that there is no guarantee of security when you follow Jesus. It's not always going to be comfortable. Life is not always going to be what? Rainbows, sunshine, unicorns. Where is your focus? Is it on comfort or is it on Christ? The second one says, yeah, I'll follow you, Jesus, but I have an obligation to my father first. I've got to bury my father first, then I'll be able to follow you, Jesus. But friends, we're never told whether or not this guy's father is dead, are we? His condition on following Jesus is some indeterminate time, sometime down in the future. Jesus, you go ahead, and I'll catch up when I'm ready. This guy found his duty to someone else to be greater than his duty to Jesus. But Jesus tells us where our duty lies is in verse 60. He says our duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. So where is your focus? Duty to Jesus or duty to someone else? The third guy also promises to follow and says, hey, let me go say goodbye to my family first. And we look at it we're like, well, what's the big deal? Seems reasonable enough. But to Jesus, this is a hesitation. This is the procrastination we talked about with the kids. When Jesus says no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God, what he means is there is no place in the kingdom for those that turn back when they are summoned to move forward. It also seems this guy was willing to put something ahead of following Jesus and that something was the affection and adoration of his family. So where is your focus? Moving forward in faith or looking for a reason to turn back to the world? In reality, we were talking about focus, friends. What we were talking about is limiting the distractions that we face so we can follow Jesus as closely as we can. We talked last week about the need to sit so closely at Jesus' feet that the dust from his sandals gets all over us. And that can only happen if we are focused on him. We can't let all the distractions that life sends our way throw us off, which is, again, and I hate to keep harping on it, why this 4G summer gospel reading plan is so important. If you haven't started it yet, start it today. If you're not going to do this one, find something that encourages you to open your Bible each and every day because it is a tremendous blessing to you. I promise you that because it's been a blessing to me. It is forcing me to make time, because I've always had the time, but forcing me to make the time to read Scripture for me. Not for preparation of a sermon, not for preparation of a Bible study, but for me. And it's benefited me in ways that I can't properly express. The constant staying in the Word, friends, will ensure that we have fire or zeal with knowledge and that our focus remains on Christ Jesus. As I bring this to a close, I want to reiterate the promise that Jesus makes to us in that verse 55 textual variant I spoke of earlier. Jesus did not come to destroy. Jesus came to save. I mean, that's why he was heading to Jerusalem in the first place, wasn't he? He set his face toward Jerusalem, and he did not treat God's enemies, the Samaritans, the way the sons of thunder desired. Now, certainly that's good news for those Samaritans, but it's also good news for us. 
Bless you. Because when we say Jesus has come to save, that means you. And that means me. And yeah, that even means those that we disagree with. Let God be God. Leave justice to God. In the meantime, love your neighbors. Live as the Apostle Paul tells us to live in Romans chapter 12 when he says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Fire and focus, friends. When aligned with Jesus, these signs point us where we need to go and who we want to be. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Until next time, God bless. Take care.